Chapter 69 The Glory and the Love Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Ezekiel 1, 28 The book of Ezekiel corresponds in many respects with the Apocalypse. These books begin and end much in the same way. Only the Old Testament prophet takes more the earthly aspects of things, while the New Testament prophet takes the heavenly. Ezekiel's first chapter is a description of the Shekinah and the cherubim. The Apostle John's first chapter is a description of Christ Himself. Ezekiel's last chapters relate to Israel and the earthly Jerusalem, and John's to the church and the heavenly Jerusalem. Ezekiel's is the first full description we have of the Shekinah and the cherubim. They are often alluded to in Jewish history. Isaiah especially mentions them, but only here are they described. Much about them was probably known to the Jews, for the high priest was permitted once a year to look upon them and would relate when he came out what he saw. We do not read that what he saw when he went in were among the unspeakable things which a man is not permitted to speak, 2 Corinthians 12.4, but here the prophet is inspired to write down the details of the marvelous sight, Exodus 3.3, 3, in the Holy of Holies. God was about to remove the glory from Israel, but before doing so, he does two things. He first describes the glory so that Israel might know what they were losing. Secondly, he gives his reasons for removing it. Verse 12, the sins of Jerusalem and of Israel. This first chapter of Ezekiel is a description of the glory. The intermediate chapters contain the reasons for the withdrawal and God's judgments on those Gentile nations that were more or less in connection with Israel, while the concluding chapters contain a prediction of their return in greater splendor never again to depart. Thus, the book of Ezekiel is connected in all its parts throughout, simple yet complete in its object and execution. Let us note the several words of our text, each of them full of meaning. 1. The Lord, that is, Jehovah. This is sometimes the name of the Godhead, but more frequently and originally it is Messiah's name. In the New Testament, Lord is almost always the name of Christ. Here in Ezekiel, it may be either or both. That which is seen there relates to God, to the Godhead. But then it is in Messiah, in the Word made flesh, that God comes into sight. So that while what the prophet saw relates to the Godhead, it does so in connection with Messiah as the manifestation or revelation of the Godhead. 2. The Glory Jehovah is the Glorious One. To Him we ascribe the glory, that is, all infinite perfection and excellence. That which we call His perfections, Scripture calls His glory. It was this glory that Moses prayed to see, and it was this that God made known to him when he passed by and proclaimed His name, Exodus 33.22 and 34.6-7. It was something infinitely admirable, perfect, lovable, solemn, and awful, yet beautiful and attractive. It is the full glory of the Lord that we behold in Jesus. 3. The Likeness The word is the same as in Genesis 1.26, according to our likeness, emphasis added, and occurs more frequently in Ezekiel than in all of Scripture. 
Man was originally God's likeness, but this being defaced, God makes another and more perfect likeness of himself. The full development of this likeness is in Jesus Christ, the exact representation of his nature. Hebrews 1 3. There was, however, an imperfect foreshadowing of this in that which was placed in the tabernacle and the temple, that is enthroned above the cherubim, 2 Samuel 6 2, or rather, that inhabited the cherubim. Every other likeness or attempt to make a likeness, God has forbidden, for no one can reveal God except himself. And for the appearance, that is, the vision that met the eye, the rays streaming from the glory, the brightness or the radiance of his glory, as Paul expresses it, Hebrews 1 3, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, 2 Corinthians 4 6. The vision or appearance or visible form was meant for man's eye to look upon. It was the visible representation of the invisible God in such a way as should reveal the glory to creatures who otherwise cannot see God, the King eternal, immortal, invisible, 1 Timothy 1.17, emphasis added. Thus God gave to Israel a glorious discovery of himself, a visible manifestation of his invisible perfections, a perfect embodiment to man's creature senses of God's character and excellencies, so that by looking to it, man might know God, in his love, his greatness, his holiness, and his majesty. All this was gathered up later and embodied in the man Christ Jesus. Old Testament saints thus got glimpses of God and of his glory, enough to gladden them and produce happy confidence, but not enough to fully satisfy. For all these appearances said, there is still something behind, something still to come and that something was nothing less than the only begotten of the Father. So it is said to us, there is much yet to be revealed, good things to come. Hebrews 9:11 and 10:1. The residence of this glory in the temple was the special mark of God's favor to Israel, his special honor bestowed on Jerusalem. For ages that glory dwelt in that city, among that people. His presence proclaimed the love of God and his desire that Israel should know him. When, therefore, Israel had sinned beyond divine forbearance, God marked his condemnation and displeasure by removing the glory. But before he did so, he warned, threatened, and pleaded. Then, when he could no longer bear their sins, he sent his prophets to announce the departure of the glory. But even to the last, his long-suffering shows itself, just as when Jesus wept over Jerusalem. The glory first comes out from the sanctuary and lingers at the threshold, unwilling to leave. Then it takes its place over the city, lingering and unwilling to leave. Then it goes to the Mount of Olives, still fondly lingering and desiring, if possible, to remain in the beloved city. Then at last, when every message is futile, it takes to itself wings and vanishes away. What a lesson is here! What love, what pity, what long-suffering, what yearning! Truly, the Lord hates divorce, Malachi 2.16.
he would gladly abide in the place of which he had said, This is my resting place. Psalm 132.14. Slowly, slowly, he turns away from it, and by that lingering slowness invites them to ask him to return, to lift the universal cry, Stay, O stay! And he would have stayed, even at the last, but Israel would have none of him. Rather, did they pray for him to depart out of their coasts. Thus God lingers over his well beloved world. Why this long delay of judgment? Why these ages of suspended wrath? Iniquity abounds, yet God does not strike. Men provoke him to the uttermost, yet he yearns over them with his old unwearied utterance of love, How can I give you up? He's not forgotten his threatenings, he is not trifling with sin, nor indifferent to the crimes of earth. But he is long suffering toward us, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 2 Peter 3 9. Yes, the meaning of the delay and the long suffering is salvation. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He would gladly spare even Sodom, much more Jerusalem. For God is love, and the last days of earth's apostasy will yet bear testimony to the sincerity of his messages to the riches of divine grace, to the unquenched love of God.